Hello, my rebels. An incredible thing happened last night. Incredible in a very bad way. Donald Trump's residence was raided by the FBI. What were they looking for? Guns? Bombs? Some secret plans? No, it was a paperwork dispute. Donald Trump was president. So what papers are his and what papers belong at the White House? They're having a paperwork dispute. And the deep state said, let's have a shock and awe FBI raid of his house just to show him we can. Yeah, I don't think that's any good. I'll take you through the news of the day. We actually had a reporter down there, um, not when it happened, but shortly afterwards. We'll show you what that looks like. But first, let me tell you about Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version of this every weeknight, plus four weekly shows. That's 36 episodes a month. It's eight bucks a month. And we really rely on that money to pay the bills around here. So please consider helping us because we do not take money from Trudeau. That's rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, an unprecedented FBI raid on Donald Trump's home. Has the deep state gone too far? It's August 9th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Last night, the most shocking news in America, and I think it jolted a lot of people around the world who have a certain image of the United States, Donald Trump revealed that his home, the famous Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida, was raided by FBI agents. And he put it out in that typical Trump style, salted and peppered with humor and derision. And if it was meant to break his spirit, well, it certainly hasn't. Let me read to you the email put out last night by which the world learned of the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Trump said, these are dark times for our nation as my beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents. Nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before. After working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid on my home was not necessary or appropriate. It is prosecutorial misconduct, the weaponization of the justice system, an attack by radical left Democrats who desperately don't want me to run for president in 2024, especially based on recent polls, and who will likewise do anything to stop Republicans and conservatives in the upcoming midterm elections. Such an assault could only take place in broken third world countries. Sadly, America has now become one of those countries, corrupt at a level not seen before. They even broke into my safe. What is the difference between this and Watergate, where operatives broke into the Democrat National Committee? Here in reverse, Democrats broke into the home of the 45th president of the United States. The political persecution of President Donald J. Trump has been going on for years with the now fully debunked Russia, Russia, Russia scam, impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, and so much more. It just never ends. It is political targeting at the highest level. Hillary Clinton was allowed to delete an acid watch wash 33,000 emails after they were subpoenaed by Congress. Absolutely nothing has happened to hold her accountable. She even took antique furniture and other items from the White House. I stood up to America's bureaucratic corruption, 
I restored power to the people and truly delivered for our country like we have never seen before. The establishment hated it. Now, as they watch my endorsed candidates win big victories and see my dominance in all polls, they're trying to stop me and the Republican Party once more. The lawlessness, political persecution, and witch hunt must be exposed and stopped. I will continue to fight for the great American people. Absolutely pure Trumpism, throwing out darts at his rivals, having that fighting happy warrior spirit. It's sort of funny if it weren't an absolute disaster. Now, they raided Donald Trump's home. What did they think they were going to find? Guns? Uh, dynamite? Some secret plan for fascism? Not really. We've just seen the not-so-secret plan for fascism at the hands of the FBI. I'm sorry to read so much to you, but let me read what Ari Fleischer, who I would call a moderate Republican, he was against Trump in 2016, if memory recalls. He was actually Bush's spokesman. Uh, during the 9-11 era. Ari Fleischer is considered a pretty thoughtful guy. I wouldn't call him a Trump fan, that's for sure. Here's what he said last night, and forgive me for reading so much, but I just think he's spot on. I'll read some, and then I'll give you my thoughts, of course. Fleischer said, here's why the FBI raid, absent a finding that puts former President Trump behind bars, is so damaging. In other words, Fleischer is saying, if you have found something that is so egregious, we're actually putting a president behind bars, which has never happened before, not even not even Richard Nixon, not even, you know, would-be President Clinton. Here's what Fleischer says. He says, number one, most governmental institutions are already not trusted by the American people. This raid contributes to mistrust of the FBI. Two, it leads to mistrust of Department of Justice, the courts. Remember, two of the four court-approved warrants against Carter Page were found to be invalid. That was in the Russia, Russia, Russia conspiracy. They got these secret warrants, and they were found later to be invalid. Do you doubt this one will be too? Three, Trump has been subject to numerous probes, all of which turned out empty. If the FBI didn't find the goods yesterday, add that this to the list. Four, did the Department of Justice really need to go to this length to enforce the Presidential Paperwork Act? Government lawyers and Trump lawyers couldn't figure this out. The Department of Justice really had to resort to a raid. And that's the thing. A raid on Trump's house. You would think that there was something atrocious going on. They're just haggling over paperwork. What's Trump's and what's the government's? As Trump points out, Hillary Clinton literally destroyed 33,000 emails that were under subpoena. Here, Trump's not running away with anything or destroying anything. He's just saying, no, these documents are mine. The government's saying they're not. And they're haggling over it. An FBI raid, that is clear, Putin-style policing. FBI didn't raid Hillary's home to search for her server. They didn't raid the Democratic National Committee to get the server the Russians hacked. They didn't raid Clinton National Security Council advisor Sandy Berger's home to see if he had additional smuggled classified material. Why is Trump held to a different standard? Now, if you're not my age or older, you won't know who Sandy Berger was. He was a Clinton uh, senior aide who literally went into a secure government facility, ripped out pages of a secret document, stuffed them in his pockets, and walked out. Clearly criminal intent, clear, like just outrageous, caught and given a slap on the wrist, no raid on his home. Here, Donald Trump is not pretending he doesn't have anything. He's just saying it's his. Can you imagine? Here's a good one. The Biden White House knows that many Americans won't believe Biden didn't know about this or approve it, even if he didn't know. I suspect this is a headache the Biden White House didn't want. Well, 
Biden knows anything that's going on. These are Democratic Party operatives who just can't get over their hatred for Trump. Seven, a precedent has been set. Former presidents, while not above the law, can now have their homes raided by successor administrations. There's no telling where that will lead. Isn't that the truth? Eight, bottom line, FBI better have found smoking gun evidence of crime. Not a paperwork dispute. If not, this raid should not have been approved and will backfire into a boost for Trump and a further erosion of trust in vital governmental organizations. My question to Director Ray and Attorney General Garland, was it worth it? Well, they would say absolutely, because they don't really care about public institutions or the public good. It's about partisan vengeance for them. Unprecedented is a word that's thrown around a fair bit, but it really is unprecedented. Richard M. Nixon's home was not raided after Watergate. Uh, you would think that Bill Clinton, with so many of his scandals, perhaps his home would be raided, uh, especially after all those trips he took to Jeffrey Epstein's island. Speaking of which, it turns out, and this story in the New York Post shows it in the Daily Mail, absolutely incredible. The judge who issued the warrant for this raid, it's almost impossible to believe, was one of the judge was when he was a lawyer, had Jeffrey Epstein and Epstein's household staff as a client. Let me say that again. The judge who issued the warrant to raid Donald Trump's home when he was a lawyer was Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer. So we don't know who Jeffrey Epstein's client lists were. Well, except for Bill Gates, because Melinda Gates told us, and I guess except for Bill Clinton. So that is not subject to an FBI raid. Hillary Clinton is not subject to an FBI raid. But this is, I think this is very troubling. It's literally what they call the deep state, that permanent part of government that you can't vote out, that sees itself as superior to the elected officials. They were problems for Donald Trump even before he took office. You'll remember how they set up General Flynn and set up Trump during the transition period. General Flynn, who was going to be a senior pick for Donald Trump, was making transition-style phone calls to foreign embassies. He was recorded, and he was set up by the deep state who didn't want General Flynn in high office. And they have been at war with Trump his entire term, and it's been almost two years now since uh, Trump was unelected in November 2020, if you believe the mainstream media. And I, I don't know the absolute truth on that election, but it's been two years and they're still not done with Trump. Politicized police, politicized prosecutors. It's sort of like what happened in Canada under Trudeau's Emergencies Act. They haven't started seizing Trump's bank accounts yet, but they're raiding his home. Now, some of this partly goes to Trump himself. He's the one who put the FBI boss in place now, the FBI boss who's going after him. He never fully prosecuted the criminal Democrats, whether it was Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, or the others who mucked him up. He didn't push back. He let them go unpunished, and they didn't return the favor. They're coming for him viciously. He was a very rare issuer of pardons. Now, I don't think Donald Trump would ever pardon himself because I don't think he would ever admit he did anything wrong or would need to be pardoned. But compare Donald Trump's light touch on the levers of power with those who are coming for him. That's the irony here, is that all the things they accuse Donald Trump of, 
all the things they said he would be, the censor, the fascist, the bully, he wasn't. All of those things were projections of the left of what they would do and could do as soon as they got power again. It's the left that's the censors in American Canada, not the right. It's the left that conducts police raids on their enemies, Hugo Chavez-style, Fidel Castro-style, not Trump. The first time a former president has ever been raided in his home was by these out-of-control Democrats against Trump, not by Trump. Now, why would this happen? Well, they want to get Trump. They're obsessed with him. Trump says it's because he's the number one contender to be the next president of the United States after Biden. There's obviously some truth to it, but I think they're just so obsessed by him and the fact that they want to get him because he spoke truth against their power. Joe Biden likes the fact that it's a circus distraction from his mess, whether it's inflation or the recession or the failures in Afghanistan, Ukraine, Taiwan, etc. I should tell you that on the same day that Donald Trump's personal residence was raided by the FBI, Biden announced he's hiring 87,000 new IRS agents, new tax auditors, tax collectors, 87,000. I saw somewhere, I want to check it to, to be double sure, but I think that's more people to go after ordinary Americans than are with the entire U.S. border force. I think more Americans were just hired to wring tax dollars out of Americans than to protect the border. It's ominous because, of course, the power to tax is the power to destroy. And if they can do it to Trump, they'll do it to you. There was absolutely no public interest to this ambush raid on Donald Trump. It's a literally a paperwork dispute. There's no crime afoot here. I can't imagine why the FBI were involved at all, other than every nefarious reason I've just alluded to. What happens when people no longer trust the police? In America, they didn't have the same harsh lockdowns that they had in Canada, the UK, and Australia. In Canada and the UK and Australia, I believe the police lost a lot of, lost a lot of their support from grassroots people, especially those who are conservative, who typically are the pro-police side, because of how vicious they were in imposing non lockdowns that had nothing to do with the criminal law. They were political errands for the left. Seriously, having armed cops enforce mask rules or stay six feet apart rules was so insane. And every cop who agreed to it, well, frankly, they deserve to have their reputation lowered. But in the United States, I don't think the police were ever that bad. But they're making up for lost time. The FBI is no longer trustworthy. I'm not sure if the CIA and the NSA ever were. They've been completely weaponized. They're turning themselves into a partisan issue. I hope that if the Republicans take Congress back this fall, which they look like they will do, they'll start to dismantle the deep state that Eisenhower warned about. He called it the military-industrial complex. Eisenhower was right. In the 60s and 70s, a lot of people on the left talked about the deep state. Well, it's still there. It's deeper than ever. They went further than ever than last night. Before I go, let me show you a few clips. Our Juan Mendoza Diaz actually was on the scene at Mar-a-Lago shortly after it happened. Look at how many people instinctively came out just to honk their horns and show support for Trump. Take a look, just a minute of this. Juan Mendoza reporting for Rebel News. We just got to Mar-a-Lago on scene. 
shortly after the FBI raided the private residence of Donald Trump. As you can see, there's helicopters throughout the area here in Mar-a-Lago. There's a lot of Trump supporters that have arrived here as well. We're arriving closer to uh, Trump's private residence here in Mar-a-Lago. And as you can see, there's already police presence here. It's increased. There's more people here, uh, more Trump supporters here. So it is past 11.30 p.m. and the, the crowd is starting to die down a bit. Uh, the music's gone now, but uh, there's still crowds here supporting Trump and condemning the actions of the FBI raiding his residence in Mar-a-Lago. So we will be out with a full story soon in Rebel News. So please stay tuned to Rebel News and Rebel News USA for more coverage of this story. This is a developing story. I promise you every person there five years ago would have called themselves the most pro-police, pro-prosecutor, pro-law and order person around. Now, I think they distrust police, as Ari Fleischer warns. And it's because police are not upholding the public interest. They're a very partisan political interest. I wonder which will break first, their institution or America. Stay with us. Our friend David Menzies interviews Rupa Subramania next. Folks, remember how last August the Justin Trudeau liberals announced that anyone who hadn't been vaccinated for COVID-19 would soon be barred from planes and trains? In many cases, these modern-day typhoid Marys, if you will, could no longer travel between provinces even or leave the country, of course. So if you lived in Winnipeg, say, and wanted to visit your mother on her deathbed in London or Hong Kong or perhaps even Quebec, you better get jabbed or resign yourself to never seeing your loved one alive ever again. Yet we were repeatedly told that these harsh decisions were based on science and we had to follow the science or the pandemic would surely be the death of us all. But now comes word that the so-called scientific civil servants weren't all that, you know, sciencey after all. Case in point, nobody in the government's COVID recovery unit, including Jennifer Little, the unit's director general, had any formal education in epidemiology, medicine, or even public health. What the hell? And joining me now is Rupa Subramanya, who recently penned a superb feature in Common Sense News. Its title, Court Documents Reveal Canada's Travel Ban Had <clears throat> No Scientific Basis. What a disgrace. So welcome back to the Ezra Levent Show. Rupa, how you been doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. Rupa, your article makes for a scathing indictment, and justifiably so, regarding the government's travel ban. Let's cut to the chase, shall we? Why did the Justin Trudeau liberals lie to us about their policies being scientifically sound? Well, um, I, you know, as I note in my story, uh, the rationale, the, uh, if you're looking for a scientific rationale, a scientific basis for these mandates, 
you're going to be hard pressed to find one in these documents. Um, it was clearly um, a, a political wedge issue, as many people had pointed out last fall, if you remember. Um, um, uh, the prime minister announced um, the mandates on August 13th, and two days later, he called the election. And uh, it was pretty clear at that point when he called the election that he, the, the liberals were really um, uh, wanted to get a majority in place. And so they, they, um, and I think this was a political wedge issue. And, uh, and but unfortunately, they didn't get the majority that they were hoping for. Uh, but as for the mandates themselves, the travel mandates. Mandate, the travel vaccine mandate, which is what the story is about. Um, where was the scientific rationale? Where were the scientists? Where was Teresa Tam? Um, she was not consulted on this. PHAC, um, you know, where was where was PHAC? Where where were the uh, scientists, doctors, infectious diseases specialists, epidemiologists um, on this? Um, uh, government panel, panel called COVID Recovery, um, uh, which uh, falls under Transport Canada. The director general of this group uh, has a bachelor's degree in English literature. Um, and, uh, and, and these are people, she's the architect of this mandate. Um, and um, she, she and, her, and, her, and the group um, that she heads. Uh, but uh, you're, you'd be hard pressed to find the science behind it. And Rupa, here's the flip side to that question. If today they dropped these mandates, which, by the way, is causing mm -hmm. all kinds of hellacious issues at airports in Canada, especially Toronto, ranked the worst airport in the world, by the way, uh, Montreal, right. Vancouver. Um, in other words, having the unvaccinated get onto flights right now and being treated like a full citizen, like the vaccinated are, would that cause any kind of health issue whatsoever? No. See, at this point, what we know about the vaccines is that they're not very good at preventing infections. <laughs> Uh, um, and uh, that's uh, pretty established. Uh, it, you know, there's a large scientific consensus that points in that direction. So, um, uh, so at this point, if you're if you have mandates, and we they've been suspended at this point, but uh, if you're still making the case that the vaccine mandates uh, helped prevent uh, transmission. Um, then, you know, you're just uh, lying to yourself or you're just fooling yourself at this point. Uh, we know that uh, Omicron was a game changer as far as the pandemic is concerned uh, because everybody was getting it. Uh, I'm triple vaccinated and I got um, COVID or Omicron. I believe I got Omicron um, uh, uh, 10 days later. So, you know, and this, I, and I have three different vaccines in my body. Um, and, and so, you know, the notion that somehow uh, those who are vaccinated um, are not uh, passing on the virus to other people. Uh, uh, those who are uh, are and those who are unvaccinated are somehow worse than those who are vaccinated. Um, and that that notion is just ridiculous at this point because everybody's getting almost everyone's getting infect infected. Indeed, uh, yeah. I, I mean, and to see this street theater play out mm -hmm. about getting triple jabbed, quadruple jabbed, uh, maybe quintuple jabbed, then it'll be better for us all. Uh, it, it's downright perverse. But the other issue too, uh, Rupa, is the double standard and the hypocrisy. A few weeks ago, as you know, Justin Trudeau, uh, after one of his junkets somewhere, got on a plane knowing that he was COVID positive and still flew on that plane. I mean, 
for goodness sakes, whatever happened to leading by example? And I, I'm sure, uh, you know, because this this is the same prime minister who was behind these travel bans for everyone else. I see that, Rupa, as being grotesquely irresponsible. Um, I think I, I, I would I would call it uh, I definitely would say there's a, a certain amount of hypocrisy um, and double standard in 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 how our elected officials uh, treat uh, you know the the you know how they follow the advice that they're they're giving us. Uh, so we're told to uh, mask. Um, we're encouraged to mask. Uh, but um, but you know the prime minister himself has uh, on numerous occasions uh, uh, been unmasked when he's overseas. But he somehow but he's masked when he's back in Canada. So it begs the question: Does the virus behave differently depending on where you are? We know it doesn't. Um, and uh, so there's certainly a, a fair bit of hypocrisy. Um, uh, for example, I, I believe the prime minister is in Costa Rica right now, and um, and I, I, and I think he flew in a private uh, D&D plane, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no matter, he was, uh, I, 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 I suspect, I mean, uh, several people pointed out uh, that he was actually not masked on this plane, um, sure. but, but, but were expected to be masked here. Um, so, you know, there's a fair bit of double standard and hypocrisy for sure. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's, and it's been called out quite frequently. Um, and, um, and I think, um, you know, more people are starting to uh, see the double standard and, 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 you know, and, uh, and, and, call, and calling it out as much as they possibly can. Yeah, and you raise a good point about the masking double standard. Just uh, okay. earlier today, uh, Rupa, I was at a press conference at Pearson International. Even though the masking mandates in Ontario ended on March 21st, guess what? Uh, this is the airport that time forgot. They still require you to wear a mask. Now, there's a few thousand people in the airport, but I could, in the days ahead, go down to the Sky Dome in Toronto and sit amongst 50,000 Blue Jay fans in one facility. There's no mask mandate. I can't make sense of it all, Rupa. Is it the, the you know, the, the coronavirus uh, respects Blue Jay fans, but it hates <laughs> international travelers and it will try to infect them? I mean, this is madness. How do you make sense of this all? Well, you can't because the science, what is the science? I mean, how does science distinguish between a Blue Jays game and, um, and, and, uh, and, and, and an airport? Um, sure, one could say that a Blue Jays game is happening outdoors. Uh, there's better air circulation. Uh, and an airport is a largely indoor environment. And so with uh, maybe not the best circulation, air circulation, uh, one could make that argument, I suppose, but uh, but then you you look at how uh, you know other countries um, have pursued the mask masking policy, and it's really here when you're when you're uh, when you when you board a plane to come to Canada and you enter um, and you're at a Canadian airport is when you have to be masked, or if you're on via rail you have to be masked. Uh, it's it that's not the case in many European countries, for example. So again, the question is, does um, COVID-19 behave, the virus behave differently in Europe, Western Europe, um, India for that matter, a country of 1.1 billion people. I was there recently um, about four months ago and uh, the no one was masked, and uh, and and there was no um, COVID apocalypse happening uh, at all. I mean, I, I didn't see any sense. I didn't see any signs of that. 
So, Rupa, uh, one last question. Since mm -hmm. we now know that this policy, this travel policy, penalizing unvaxxed Canadians was based on, uh, well, lies and falsehoods. As you said earlier, Jennifer Little uh, wasn't a doctor, uh, wasn't a public health official. She was a, uh, a, a literature major. I mean, to be or not to be. For her, not to be, I would suggest. But since we now know all this, um, where do we go from here? Is there the potential for lawsuits, maybe even a class action? Uh, I mean, I feel that the government should not be able to walk away from this. What are your thoughts, my friend? Um, well, you know, so I um, hope that there's uh, some accountability. Um, for, well, let's first start with this. Uh, I think that the mainstream media should be paying some attention to this story. The fact that um, uh, not a single person in the mainstream media has even acknowledged the story um, or, you know, forget sharing it, but the, I, no one's even reached out to me uh, asking me uh, questions about, um, you know, uh, what I what I wrote. Uh, and that's uh, very bizarre. And I hope I hope you know, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and and say that uh, that you know they're still just getting their hands on these documents and that they're going to um, eventually write something about them. Um, so it's it's important that the mainstream media covers it um, as well. Um, and um, and eventually, I'm hoping that there's some accountability. Um, there are so, uh, many questions uh, to be asked um, if you go through the transcripts, the documents. Um, you know, I couldn't get into everything uh, because you. I was go going with a certain story here, uh, but uh, you know there's lots in there, and uh, it's definitely going to raise a lot of questions in the coming days, uh, and and hopefully there'll be some accountability, whether it's uh, at the at, in the, in the courts or at the ballot box. Now, Rupa, I'm thinking, hmm, why wouldn't the mainstream media be interested in such an incredible story as, oh yeah, I forgot they're being paid by the federal government to stay in business. I mean, I'm sure the literature major, Jennifer Little, knows the proverb, don't bite the hand that feeds. What a disgrace. These are crazy times we're living in. Uh, Rupa, I want to thank you for your time, and I want to urge our viewers, uh, go to Common Sense News, read Rupa's article. It is fantastic. You're not going to see it printed anywhere else. Well, I'm grateful for David Menzies for doing that interview. I uh Apologize, I was away for that, but it's always wonderful to see Rupa again. I'm going to read some letters. Alana Marinick says, I pray that Alexa wins a huge lawsuit against that police brutality. Well, that lawsuit is proceeding forward. And as I think I've reported to you before, uh, internal affairs, like there's an internal investigation in the police force against that cop as well. So it's not just us who are outraged. I think even the police know that something is deeply wrong there. Realist01 says, really? The same United Nations that are working with Trudeau, Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization in China? Tell me you're joking. Now, you're talking about us going to the United Nations Human Rights Council. Sheila said it, and I said it. We're both skeptics of the UN, as we should be. The UN Human Rights Council itself is colonized by the bad guys in the world. Places like China, North Korea, Iran. It's shocking. But is there a chance? What's the worst that can happen? Okay, we go there, we serve them the document, and they ignore it. They reject it. They throw it out. 
okay, so how are we any further behind? But what if they take it up, even in the most minor way, and ask Justin Trudeau to reply to it? Or who knows, maybe some country that wants to, has a grudge with Trudeau, says, no, let's really look into it. Whatever the motives are, whatever the drama in the background is, is it not worth a long shot? Sheila and I have always said it's a long shot. But as Greshke says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. No Name 2662 says Sheila is amazing. I agree with you completely. It was great to have her and Sarah Miller go all the way there. Uh, that's a long way to go for, I think they spent more time getting there and more time coming home than they spent on the ground, which is too bad. It would have been nice if they had a day or so to walk around. I hear Geneva's a lovely city. I've never been myself. But we were there for business, not for vacation. And I'll keep you posted on how that goes. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Lincoln J reporting for Rebel News for the first time here in the city of Iqaluit. Now I must say it is absolutely beautiful here. It is by far the most remote community I have been to in my entire life. Now I made the trip from Toronto to Iqaluit to show you guys the other side of the story on some very important topics happening here in the far north of Canada. Now for our international viewers who might not be aware, Iqaluit is a city in the territory of Nunavut. It is the only city located in this entire territory. Just to put it into perspective how remote Nunavut truly is, it is twice the size of Ontario with its one and only city of Iqaluit having a population of just over 7,400 people. Due to harsh climatic conditions, the population here remains low and job opportunities are simply hard to come by. Over the next few days, I'm going to be investigating a few different topics here in Nunavut, including the termination of over 1,100 mine workers. I'm going to be looking into a bylaw that is essentially going to remove churches from tax exemptions. And I'm also curious to see how the city of Iqaluit, which is completely run on fossil fuels, is going to transition into the Trudeau government's 2035 net zero emissions agenda. We're going to try to talk to some locals over the next few days, get some different opinions. If you guys appreciate the true, honest, independent journalism we're providing, you can consider donating to help cover the costs of this trip at rebelfieldreports.com. Thanks so much for your support, guys.